beliefs are material things. They direct our lives and choices, moment by moment. They're stowaways to the imagination emporium. Harnessed to hunches, polished with proof. They're like clothing we can't afford. They elevate us, yet they're not ours to keep. We discard them when they no longer serve our needs. Or we find out they weren't real at all. This story is extraordinary. Especially if it's true. And it all started in the desert, just north of Las Vegas. This week the Meat Sacks talk with Jeremy Corbell about his movie Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. Unfortunately Mickey Rourke doesn't make an appearance, that's a meat sack I can get behind. Anyway, the rest of it is next on Hysteria 51. They say, I'm disturbed. From city to city an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that has no idea if Bob Lazar is telling the truth, but we still just dig this song. This is Hysteria 51. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. We are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago, and we're your hosts and interstellar private detectives in this curious case of he said, they said. Brent Hand and John Goforth. More like private dicks. Ignoring that, because tonight, Brent, tonight we have a special treat. A filmmaker we've talked about a few times on this show and that our listeners might just be familiar with. That is right, my friend. Tonight we are joined by Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell. If that name sounds familiar, it's because... I made that hilarious joke about the tiny bubbles in the wine, or because he's done other documentaries we've talked about many times on the show, like Hunt for Skinwalker and Patient 17. Great. Another idiot meat sack to deal with. That other voice you're hearing is the third host of the show, and the only one who might be worthy of his own investigative documentary. More conspiracy bot. Always a good thing. He is the one and only conspiracy bot. Brent built Seabot in his lab to help produce and edit the show. Instead, he just makes fun of our guests and drinks too much. I'm like Dr. Phil. That's literally nothing like Dr. Phil. Fine. Judge Judy. Uh, well, you know what? I don't, I think, don't so. think so. Uh, well, well <laughs> now that, how you think about it. And she's the highest paid person in TV. Where's my cheddar? We cannot have this debate again. There is no time. We need to get to our special guest. Yes. Couldn't be more excited, Brent. We have Jeremy Corbell on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We've we've talked about you and your movies, uh, your documentaries on our show a ton. Many, uh, many uh, times. Uh, yeah. But for the uninitiated, the few folks that haven't heard that, would you mind giving us just kind of your quick background? Yeah, sure. I, I'm an accidental filmmaker. I mean, I was a mixed martial athlete. All I thought I'd ever do in my life was jujitsu. And, you know, life has a way of changing that for you. And so I started making fine art and people started making a documentary on my transition from martial athlete to artist. And then I looked at what they were doing. And I was like, that is way cooler than what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I asked, I begged them to teach me how to use a camera <laughs> and they taught me. And, you know, I just kind of went from there and, you know, I got a great mentor in journalism. As you know, George Knapp, he's, he's broken some big stories, of including course. 
the Area 51 Bob Lazar story. So yeah, I've been really lucky to you know, have people to rely on in my work that have helped guide it that I trust. Speaking of that and your work, most of your work has a certain ring or tenor to it going along with your, you know, the Extraordinary Beliefs brand. What initially drew you to the, I, I always like to call it the world of the weird? Yeah, that's what we get asked all the time. Like, why do you guys do what you do? And everyone's got an interesting take on that. What brought you in here? Yeah, you know, I think it's just uncharted territory. I, I, I think that that's what's really ap- appealing to me in the world of digital information and just you know, the saturation we have with instant gratification of knowledge based on the internet, you know, what remains one of the biggest mysteries of all time. And it is absolutely still beyond a shadow of a doubt, this concept that we might not be alone in this universe. So I think it's uncharted territory. And I think the answer is not obvious. And I think that that is what is intriguing to me and why I make films and document this type of thing is because it's truly the Wild West. Isn't it crazy that as we progress and technology gets the way it is and people get an understanding for what they do, we still have those same basic questions that they've been asking for centuries, thousands of years. And here we are slinging away. You know, you're making movies trying to answer these same questions. It, it, it blows my mind. And it also blows my mind that some of these people probably know the answer and we, <laughs> we're we trying to figure it out. I don't know if it blows my mind or infuriates it. Yeah, that's that's ultimately annoying that there's got to be people that have more information than us and we're digging, you know, trying to get more information. Some people just have it. I, you know, I think to, to some degree that's true. But look, we, we just we can't argue anymore with people. We, we've got the Internet. You know, if, if, if it's a factual based matter, you look it up, you, you win. I mean, <laughs> try having a night out with your friends where you don't use the cell phone to fact check each other. I'll Oh my God, my my wife, it's her her bane of her existence is now they'll go, I don't know if that's true. I'm gonna look that up. God <laughs> hates you so much. I'm like, well, that's a different story. <laughs> well, if you, if you have a wife that you should absolutely know, it's much better to you know, be in harmony than it is to be right. And you should know that by exactly. now. Exactly. George Knapp is your mentor, you said. He's someone that like that really helped you out. Is that what brought you to Lazar? Or was there something else that really made you want to do something on Bob? I think like most anybody who's looked into this field of UFOs, the lore of Lazar hangs heavy in this world. We, we've all heard about Bob Lazar. I just – just like you, you know, I was – at the time I was 13 years old, I heard on the radio and I heard George Knapp interviewing. And, and that, I like to say, weaponized my curiosity, meaning that it forced me from being an observer to becoming a participant where I'm like, hey, I really want to learn as much as I can about this. So I'd actually say it was reversed. I reached out to George Knapp because of my interest in the Lazar case. But, you know, look, that was 2012 when I first put George on camera about this. I didn't know I was going to make a film on it. You know, fingers crossed I was able to make a film on it, but I never expected I truly would get the access and be able to make a film on it. So I'm, I'm lucky, I guess. You say when you first put him on film about it, was that the interview in what looks like his indoor pool? Yeah, that, that actually made the movie. So imagine I have so much that I've filmed over the years that probably will never see the light of day. It's either not time or it's not you know the right thing. So I was filming with George Knapp, asking him about Bob Lazar. That was 2012 in that scene. And, you know, that part made the cut, but there's been years of filming with with all types of witnesses. You can only pack so much in in a little movie, you know? Absolutely. So before we get too deep on Bob, for our listeners, if they've been listening to our show for a while, they know that early in our tenure, we did a two-parter on Lazar. Or if they've been listening to anything lately, they know who Bob Lazar is. Oh, of course. Of course. You can actually just say, hey, Google, and ask who Bob Lazar is, and you will get that Wikipedia pitch, which is pretty amazing that it's in popular culture to the degree that it is. That they'll actually know who you're talking about. It's pretty amazing. So, you know, but but just to, to get your listeners kind of up to date in 20 seconds, 
1989, this story exploded around the world about Area 51 and flying saucers. This was directly due to Bob Lazar going on camera with George Knapp to tell his story of reverse engineering alien propulsion system for the United States military at a sub-base of Area 51 called Site 4 or S4. So this is why Area 51 has become a household name, became the name of a, a sports team. It became the brand of beef jerky. It became everything. Area 51 is a hot sauce. All of this is because in 1989, Bob Lazar came forward with his story to, to save his own hide, to save his own skin, whether you believe it or not. That is the truth because of the repercussions of talking and being out there and showing people the saucer, the flying saucer test flights. So that is the story. One thing that you said that I think is very important there is he did bring Area 51 to the cultural zeitgeist. People hadn't heard of it. Now, if you're outside of Vegas, you've probably heard of there was something out there. But yeah. people had heard about this. And then all of a sudden, this guy is not only saying, hey, there's a base out here. He's also saying, hey, there's a base and there's flights. And I'm going to tell you the times that we'll go out there and we're going to actually film these flights, which is in and of itself amazing. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people argue this when, when I say that, like that he made Area 51 a household name. I'm sorry. They're wrong. He did. <laughs> if you look right. at historic yeah, if you look at historic fact, of course, people involved with the base and out in the outskirts of Las Vegas, there's always been mystery at this secret base. It's been there, but it was never this household name no. that invaded all forms of mass media. That's because of Bob Lazar. And we can prove that if we forensically go back in history through popular media and show how, for example, they use Element 115 to propel the craft in the X-Files. That is directly from Bob Lazar, including right. the poster. The, the poster in the X-Files thing. So the popular culture has picked it up because of Bob Lazar. Case closed. I'm an investigative reporter. You could trust me on that. <laughs> well, but speaking of you and being an investigative reporter, that, that, that actually puts the ball on the tee for me. I've noticed with your documentaries that you inject yourself into the stories or the narratives sometimes, or perhaps the circumstances do, however you, you want to phrase it. It worked out perfectly in this one. Yeah, too. certainly. Yeah, did. very much uh, so. This is, this one's no exception. What drives that decision? I mean, it, it was true of Patient 17, true of this one and, and so many more. Uh, what drives that decision for you? You know, I never really thought about it much until people have been bringing it up. I'm I'm not a student of cinema. I don't know the rules and, you know, what those decisions are historically. Honestly, I was cheap and free talent. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I could put myself in front of a camera at any given time with my own stuff and not worry about it. So for me, a lot of it, a lot of my filmmaking is practicality, to be to be honest with you. I wanted to uplift the visual aesthetic, which I believe I did. I wanted to make these films on this subject more fun to watch than they have been when I was growing up. And so for me to be involved in the filming of it is a natural process because I, I literally can film myself at any time. Additionally, I always really liked watching – if I trusted somebody – I liked watching them go on these journeys because then I feel like I'm part of that, seeing it through their eyes. So in, in another way, it's kind of the most honest form of filmmaking that I could come up with. So for me, it was just very natural, and I, I don't think that's going away. I think that's a choice because of how I film, how I interact with people, how I break stories. I think that's important distinction because like you said growing up when we were that age and when you're that age but long ago watching documentaries on things like this you either had the robert stack telling you the story or like disembodied voice telling if you believe it or what you're you're putting yourself in there and actually investigating like you said you're an investigative reporter and you're putting yourself into that and i think that comes through 
very nicely in the story and it shows you have a very vested interest in it which is important too you can't satisfy everybody if you do that then you're you're really not making waves to begin with um how, you know but however i i also wrong stand topic behind... satisfy everybody <laughs> yeah 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 no but like you know the the negative stuff is also a positive because it's more people you know buying the movie and becoming exposed to the concept and you know engaging the debate which is really more important th- than anything is that people talk about this and think about this it's like when the new york times released december 2017 that was a big big moment right and you know there was some silence after it and and it's just kind of interesting to me I, anything that gets the debate going in a factual and fundamental way i think is very important and also i i never tell people what to believe in the films you are going on this journey too and you need to decide for yourself reality you mentioned the new york times we definitely have some questions regarding you know the a tip and and uh i guess i suppose as an extension of that uh, your thoughts on To the Stars Academy and all of that. But I want to I want to bring it back to the Lazar story itself. Now, I, I want to be clear. We understand and I, I'm sure you do interviews where maybe this isn't as understood and, and that's got to be difficult. So we're going to try to toe the line here. Well, we understand the purpose of your documentary was not to validate every single thing that Bob Lazar said. Mm-hmm. And we also understand that it was a documentary about the story. So in other words, we're not here to attack you or your really good documentary. But we do have some questions we want to ask in case you have thoughts on them or answers that you garnered from Bob, if that's fair. Yeah, look, you got, you're being too nice. I mean, yeah, look, I know it's a controversial documentary. I expect people to have hard questions. All right, now, listen, if I asshole. Can answer them. No joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come at me then. No, but the thing is, is um, I don't necessarily have all the answers, unfortunately. But yeah, I am very happy to talk about some of the Absolutely. areas Absolutely. That, that are difficult because it is a difficult story it is and the 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 biggest thing that i took a little bit of umbrage with that uh, that actually george knapp said in in your movie and and i think he even repeated it i i saw the youtube video of your um q a uh after the the premiere and this isn't an exact quote but i i'll try to get the spirit of it basically he's saying that everyone focuses on whether lazar is real or not the if their school records or not but not on the amazing discovery itself. They get too caught up on, on the legitimacy of Lazar. And, and to me that, and, and certainly that's a, that's a theme of your movie. And it, it, I have a hard time reconciling that because if he's full of it, then this is all just imaginary land and there's nothing to focus on. I mean, it, it that's the crux of it. Like if he has to be telling the truth for any of the rest of it to matter, it feels like the, the faith to look at the discovery would come from having better answers to the questions, I guess is the way I'd say it. Yeah, I, I, mean, I understand your perspective. However, I think, you know, on further reflection over time, you might land somewhere differently than, than you land now. And let me, you know, kind of justify that by telling you, you know, my perspective on it. Uh, obviously, I've done a lot of interviews and talked with a lot of people who would not go on camera. Right. So what, what I... What I can let's just be honest. What I can present to you is a fraction of what I can present about Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. Now I'm hoping that that uh, invigorates the debate. However, I, I do not agree that if we can't validate every single thing that Bob Lazar has said about his schooling, that 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 takes away all credibility of everything we can validate. And let me just explain that for a, a second. You know, w- which is. I was willing from the very beginning to to say, okay, we can't prove, you know, he has the schooling that he says he has. So let's, I don't believe this, but let's take the 
the furthest version of that. He's, let's just pretend he's totally lying about that. I, I was willing to accept that and say, now what does the story look like for me? So after I did that, accepting the worst case scenario of his detractors, I still found there are things that I could not get around. I could not get around how he knew after 30 years I proved the hand scanner that he was able to talk about for 30 years and everybody thought he was making it up. I cannot justify how he knew on three separate occasions the exact time and location of what looked exactly like a flying saucer coming up over Papoose Lake in 1989. There are too many things that don't allow me to dismiss Bob Lazar based upon – his schooling, which is the number one thing that people attack him. Again, I like to make a joke. I don't care if he was homeschooled by gnomes. If he knew, if he worked at Los Alamos and he knew the times of these these test flights, he had access somehow. And I have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt definitively again, because George Knapp proved it in 1989, that Bob Azar worked as a physicist at the Maison Particle Accelerator. I mean, he did. I've talked to employees. I got one to go on record that was in security briefings with him. So my point to you is is, is simply that I, I totally get your point in saying this question. However, I was with you on that, and now I'm not, in that I, I, there's no way I'm gonna ever. I tried really hard to prove his education, just as so did George Knapp. So we can't do it. So make up the worst version of reality and say, where does that make his storyline? Does that make everything he said not true? Well, factually, no, it doesn't because we can prove a lot of it. So that's a problem that we all have in our minds about this story. And you have to personally give it the amount of weight that you personally give it. That's the reason also that this is a story that won't go away because no matter what, like you said, if you look at it and you go, you know what? He was, let's say, like you said, worst case scenario, he made all that up. He still knew a lot of crap. We're going to, we're going to talk about that hand scanner in the future, but like stuff like that, you're like, there's no reason he should know that. There's no reason he should have known that S4 existed. There's no reason that he should have known that things were flying unless he was a disinformation agent of some sort or he really was working there. And we should go into that theory, too, because it's a fascinating theory. And nobody's rejecting that theory, not even Bob, that he was shown stuff, you know, in with that, the intention. I'm glad, to I was going to ask that because this is at a time and, you know, people like Richard Doty and yeah. Paul Benowitz were in the, the world at that exact time. And I wondered if Bob ever looked at it and thought maybe I was being used. Oh, yeah. Bob, Bob said the stuff he he read in those doc in those briefing documents were so outrageous they they felt like they were planted so that he'd go around saying them you know they were so outlandish he says but he goes i can't discount them i just don't know if they're true they're black and white you know on paper i didn't see them he goes however you can tell me that i was a disinfo guy you can tell me that unwittingly i was supposed to leak information he's like that's fine but you cannot tell me that what i saw was made by any terrestrial means possible. You cannot fake the physics, he said. What I personally touched, the hardware that I saw operate, the effects that it had, the gravitational effects. He's like, you can tell me all day long I'm a disinfo guy, but you cannot tell me that didn't exist. He goes, because I saw it, I touched it, I dismantled it. So from Bob's perspective, that only goes so far. To take what you were saying about, let's take the worst version of this story. Just to play the other side of that coin. Yeah. I, I, I love these thought experiments. Let's take the other side of that coin and say Bob 100% definitively worked not only at Area 51, but at S4. He went to MIT and, and he has all the degrees. And he, he has, has all the degrees and he worked at S4. He uh, he had all the clearances. Who knows why they went away? The government did whatever. But he was there and he worked there for, for, for a long, you know, for however long he said he did. 
how do you reconcile or do you reconcile the actual claim of what happened inside there? Meaning, was he just a desk jockey or was he actually working on UFOs? It's an incredible thing to me. You know, Stan Freeman started doing this about uh, Los Alamos. You know, at first Stan said, there's no way he ever worked at Los Alamos. He must have been the janitor. And then as I, I proved and George Knapp proved over time that <laughs> no way was he the janitor. That in fact, he was and, – and we have talked to other employees, by the way. He took George there. He was a physicist there. So same thing with S4. Now, I will be releasing soon some interviews I've done with employees of Area 51 who were there during that time period. Let me tell you, they're all satisfied by doing, you know, an interview with Lazar. For example, George had him sit in front of a few employees of Area 51. They were all very satisfied that he had been there. He knew stuff that no one else would know unless you were there. Like mundane. That's huge. Paint colors, you know, how, how, you know, what the trays are made of, you know, just funny things in the lunch hall. I mean, just basic, basic, basic stuff. I watched an older interview and it was funny. That was one of the things they said that would be the telltale side if he was there or not was, which way did you turn to go to the bathroom? You know, yeah, I mean? stuff really like that. simple. Like, hey, where did you, uh, you know, where'd you hang your coat? Weird stuff like that that you just think about, you take for granted because every, every day you go to a place and you work that only someone that was actually there, those are kind of the smoking guns. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I've got a couple of those that I've learned from employees of 51. So when someone, a lot of people come to me and they claim things about Lazar and about 51, and I know I, a few, in a few words, I can tell you if they were there or not because there's just some things that everybody knows or you weren't there, right? So my point, Yes, my point to you is just that, you know, if Bob Lazar is telling the the truth exactly as how it happened, remember, we know he believes he's telling the truth exactly how it happened. He passed polygraph tests. It's fairly obvious. But, but, you know, even without that, let's say it is exactly like it happened. You're asking now, well, was he, so maybe he was at S4, he was at Area 51, but was he just like, you know, a mechanic or something, you know, are you sure he worked on, you know, flying saucers? Well, you know, here's the deal, man. When we get to the point of, of listening to Bob's story and the hundred things that do validate compared to the few things we can't stitch up together, mm. which are in my eyes not not even as relevant or important and could be literally a, a, something used to help discredit him. I mean imagine if everybody believed Bob Lazar. Right, I, I don't right. know what his life would look like. So I don't know. To answer your question, yeah, I, I, full, I wholeheartedly believe Bob based upon my information at hand. I, I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, he agrees with you most certainly that he is a scientist and he agrees that it's tough to approach his claims from a scientific perspective. Actually, there's a there's a really good clip we have from your documentary. You know, I'm a scientist. And when I look at other questionable information or other interesting information, I have to follow the scientific method. And look, if I it has to be reproducible and with proof. And look, I can't lay out all the proof to make it unquestionably true. So, you know, according to the rules of science, you are obligated not to believe it until I can. So, yeah, I'm not saying believe the story. I'm saying this happened to me. I'm sorry I can't I can't prove it, you know, without going back in time and bringing you there. So, um, you know, just let it be. I don't really care if you believe it or not. Um it's just kind of a report what happened to me. So, you know, he's just he's saying that he understands the difficulty folks have. I know this wasn't your goal in making the documentary, but to try to help with his, I don't know, credentials. Did you talk to or consult with any other scientists on his claims? Yeah, I, I in, in fact, I did. And just to kind of go back a little bit to what you're saying. Yeah, Bob, in that quote that you played and everything, I mean, his whole point is he knows from the very beginning 
that he didn't have all the evidence to prove to you his claims. But remember, he didn't come forward to prove to you his claims. Right. He came forward to protect himself. Now, whether you believe that or not, it is true. And so so the deal is he knew from the very beginning he wasn't going to be able to do that. I've always told him it probably is a good thing he couldn't do that. Imagine what his life would be like or what kind of trouble he'd be in. So, so yes, I, I did speak with a number of physicists and people mm-hmm. that – are specialists in these fields. Now, they'll only go so far because the moment they know you're talking about UFOs, it's over, right, right? for right. most most of the people. But, you know, my approach to people that deal with, you know, super heavy elements, and that kind of thing, and I consulted nine different physicists when it came to Lazar, and a material science guy that came to Lazar's story. Now, I can't prove everything Lazar said. He can't prove everything. But I can tell you a couple specific things that I learned from that process. Number one is that anybody that says to you that we can rule out a stabilized form of element 115, meaning a usable half-life, as Lazar described, that that is pseudoscience to say that, that is unscientific, and that is bullshit. And that, for me, was huge. I thought, hey, I'm not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. I don't work with these things. Let's hear what they have to say. That's a really fascinating thing because, like you said, and you said it in the show, you talk to these heavy element experts. And I did. I think people get stuck on, well, it doesn't exist now. Well, but what isotope could it be? No, yeah. That was the if argument wanna... that a lot of them want to make, and that wasn't what Bob was saying. Bob, or oh, I think what you're saying is it's not what we have, you know, that we've produced. It's it, a different it's type so of isotope. Much... Yeah, it's so much deeper and, and beyond that. And I, at least let's dip our toe into the water because this is important. This is where scientific people take advantage of non-scientific people by telling them shit that is just not true. And then they propagate it because they heard an authority say it. So the claim is that, you know, what Bob Lazar said about stabilized element 115 is pseudoscience, that there's no record of it anywhere, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter that he predicted element 115 because it was predicted a long time before because it only lasted 220 milliseconds as a half-life and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. And we only had four atoms of it. Holy cow. The whole point that Bob made is that, okay, for example, with gold, there there are 40 different isotopic combinations of gold. Only one is stable. So yeah. you're telling me by smashing atoms together that you, any scientist worth his salt or her salt knows for a fact you cannot rule out a stabilized form of element 115. In fact, it's predicted exactly like Bob Lazar said. We're probably going to find it one day. <laughs> but the thing is, is that people use that as a way to take uneducated people and try to dissuade them from the story. And, and Stan Freeman was guilty of that because he should know better. Man, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing. The next thing I was going to ask you. Stan Freeman has made a lot of claims. I mean, he almost made a life for a long time of, of bashing Lazar. And he oh, is he did, yeah. a, someone who is a another uh, a big name in the the UFO zeitgeist out there. Did you talk to Stanton at all? Did you did you reach out to oh, him? For years. How does Bob feel about him? First of all, I, I reached out to Stan for years. I knew Stan for years. You know, we were friendly and all that. And then we had a little clash on stage, which is now public. And they, mm-hmm. you know, put out the video of him and I kind of bickering over it. Right. And I was I didn't even know that I was going to be thrown into that situation. But and I was really nice to him until I heard him saying and repeating bullshit, which is something that he did for a long time. 
30 years of bullshit. Somebody's going to call you out at some point. So Stan had to be called out. And if you want this to be a Bash Stan episode, I'm happy about that. But he said some stuff that was patently false and made it a crusade. If you ever heard Richard Dolan talk about the first time Stan Freeman came up to him, basically wanted to make sure as Richard Dolan's getting started in the UFO field, that he had the quote unquote right opinion about Bob Lazar. It was a personal crusade. Don, tell him about our thoughts on Stan. Brent has been interested in these topics since he was little. I've only gotten interested in the last uh, five years, maybe. And so it was all new to me. And I, so I come at this like with an, uh, an obscured eye a little bit and it's always boggled my mind. I, I don't like Stanton Friedman just from the things I've read uh, that he said in his interviews. I'm not as a person. I don't make a judgment as a person, but a, as a figurehead. And it's always boggled my mind that he gets so behind stories like Barney and Betty Hill which are just pure anecdotal, a couple people saying something, and then something like Bob Lazar. Well, absolutely not. That's fucking impossible. And he makes it personal, and that is something, like you just said, going to, to Dolan and saying, I want to make sure you know. And that's less, almost as much saying you know as, if you want to fit in here, this is your opinion. <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. One of these days we're going to ask a favor of you. Like, <laughs> he is the dirty duke of the double standard. You know, He applies one standard to one thing and then a totally another one to Lazar. But yes. look, he hasn't spent 220 milliseconds on the Lazar story compared to someone like George Knapp who spent the last 30 years right. championing this story. And by the way, if for a second he smelled that it was a lie or anything like that – he, he's a journalist. He's an award-winning journalist. He would have outed Lazar from the very beginning if he found that you know, something was incredible. People forget that. Like This this story started on KLAS. You're, you interviewed it him did. in his office or whatever it was, and there was Emmys all across the top just on one of the – He hates, that. The, he hates the that part. He, oh, my God. He's got two Peabody's. He's like you know 28 <laughs> maybe Emmys, and he was so embarrassed I put that in the film. I'm like, George, it, it's not bragging. It's confessing. It's true, man. Yeah, I, also, I also like that it's, he has so many that they're just – up on the top, just thrown up there. You know what I mean? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> awesome. yeah. Yeah. You know what? We're going to go to break real quick. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the Bob Lazar story and actually delve into what he's been doing for the last few decades on Hysteria 51. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone, and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation too. So (laughs) you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. (laughs) In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, they design it for long-term retention, you know, and uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and, there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm-hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And 
I don't know if you know this, but I'm all about value. And you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused or really cool. <laughs> I'd go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use. And we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term. And uh, it's something that uh, it works. You know, and we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now. Right now, get now. started for Larry. Limited time. His Air Fifty One listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. How much? Fifty percent. Visit Rosetta Stone dot com slash today that's 50 percent off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life wow redeem redeem, redeem. how do they do it rush day you're 50 oh. percent off <laughs> rush <a> day <laughs> redeem it 50 percent off rosettastone.com slash today do it today after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We are still here with Jeremy Corbell, not of the Champagne Corbell. Every time I hear your name, do you remember those? Do you remember those commercials? Tiny bubbles in the water. I told John I was going to say that. He's like, "Don't you dare say that!" I'm like, "I can't not think of that." Do you remember those? I do, I do. There, my family does have history with Corbell Champagne. My name was changed three times, and it was oh, wow. Catable, Corbell, Corbell, and yeah, it's a whole long history. My last name's Hand, so I have no room to talk about anything. You know? <laughs> Oh man! So, so Jeremy, uh, champagne aside, though we're going to start drinking some soon. 
What do you think, or maybe you just know the answer because you asked him, uh, why do you think, I guess I should say, Bob agreed to do this documentary after I mean, what is, seemed to be a fairly uneventful decade or two for him, at least from the public eye perspective? For yeah, almost 30 years, the only times we heard from Bob is when George Knapp like, twisted his arm and got, said, look, you got to you push back. You know, People are telling lies about you. You know, They're saying you're trafficking women in South Africa. I mean, just all crazy things people <laughs> said about him. And he's like, George, like, you got to say something. And, you know, Bob would reluctantly say something, but it was always, you know, fit into a newscast. And it's amazing George could get him to talk for all those years. But the the real heart of it, I always felt, would be to begin to understand who Bob Lazar is. Because when you start understanding his personality, his actions then seem very plausible. You start to really understand his actions. So this comes around to why I can I convinced him. I was like, Bob, look, you know. I know because I know you now that there's so many lies out there about you now, so much fake stuff. And it's going to go down in history as with all these lies, or you can try to set the record straight one last time. It's not going to definitively do it, but it is going to give people right from your mouth what happened to you. And then they have more data to judge it on because the best way to dismiss a message is to dehumanize the messenger. And that's what was happening. To Bob Lazar, and and he's fully capable of standing up for himself. He doesn't need bodyguards. He doesn't need someone being his mouthpiece. It's just that he doesn't have the motivation to do it. That's not why he came forward to begin with. He's not making a fortune off the UFO thing. He's not. I mean, he's so he's he's such a kind dude. It's it's hilarious. So like, I have these posters, and I gave him the posters from the movie, and I'm like, you just sign them. People want them signed. And he said this kind of thing before. He's like, well, I don't think they want me to mess up the artwork with a signature. I'm like, Bob, you don't understand. <laughs> people care about your story, you know. And I know that you think people, you know, whatever people believe on it, it's a big story. So you got to set the record straight. And so that's how I convinced him. Believe it, don't believe it. This is part of American culture now. This is part yes. of Americana. You're not going to get out from in front of that. Yeah, it's world culture about UFOs. I mean, you know, the, the viewership, oh, yeah. and I know this by the movie, the viewership is global. So we have the number one documentary worldwide. Now, you might look at iTunes and say, well, Michael Moore's is number one. Actually, we have more sales than him. So the thing is, this is, and we've been number one on Amazon, Amazon since December 3rd when it launched. So my point in saying that is not just saying, hey, I made a great documentary. <laughs> it's It's saying that, the world has a deep hunger. I was just going to say, there's a hunger for this still. Yes, globally, you know, because because everybody wants to know, is Bob telling the truth? Is he worthy of our trust? Because if he is, this is the most astounding story to come out in, in you know, human culture if he's telling the truth. But, you know, that's where – that's why it's a good movie because people – it's hard for people to decide on that. Exactly. But one of the great things that you do in the movie that really comes through better than any of the interviews I've seen of him, in, in my opinion, is the humanizing of him. You know, our, our thoughts are, are immaterial, really. I tell you this, though. I believe he believes what he's saying, regardless uh, of if sure. um, if there's if what he saw was disinformation or something else. I believe 100% that he believes every word that's coming out of his mouth. And it's just in another uh, version of my life. I'm in, I'm in sales and have been my whole career. And after you've done that for a while, propane and propane accessories. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
after you've done that for a while, you really can get a gauge on on just like a bullshit meter. Right. I, it just doesn't go off with Bob. He's he's telling what he believes. Which is a telling thing because George Knapp, someone who's also an investigative reporter, has made a life calling bullshit on people. Is going right. Hey, I, 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 and like I believe guy. him too. Right. 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 Oh yeah, he's tried to. We we've all tried to trip him up. I mean, you know, it's a sad thing, but it's part of you know. Oh, that's part human of the nature. And you've got to do that if you're going to make the movie. Yeah. Yeah. We got you know. I you know you push him and and you you try to. Push him into a corner and see how he responds. And yeah, I mean, look, we we can all agree. One of the reasons his story is so powerful is because people hear him talk, and it is profoundly powerful because they get the sense that he's telling the truth just exactly how he knows it to be true. And that is a problem. It's a problem for our concept of reality. A person who maybe doesn't come off as truthful, uh, but not it, uh, this isn't someone that's in your in your documentary. George Knapp mentioned him, uh, and I think that yeah, was as far he, as he mentioned went. him. Uh, a fairly well known associate of Bob is John Lear. He's yes. definitely a trigger for a lot of people with his dark side <laughs> conspiracy theories. You know, yeah. Is his kookiness, I guess you'd say, a factor, for lack of a better term, the reason that you stayed away from him for the documentary? No, actually, no one's actually asked me that. And a lot of people have been talking shit and they don't know the truth. And so thanks for the opportunity to kind of clear that up. Um, and I guess I'm just going to be totally full frontal honest here. I filmed with John Lear for seven years. I have the definitive documentary on John Lear that could be aired any day, right? However, John Lear seems to always step on his own toes. You know, he pulled some crazy Lear fashion stuff with me and basically put me in a position where I am beholden financially to another third party before I can release any of that footage. Oh, so wow. he, he kind of screwed the pooch on himself, to be honest with you. I've never never told anybody that because I've never been asked that. But yeah, I, I definitely filmed the definitive John Lear film. I've got seven years of footage in the can, intimate Footage where it's like I slept on his floor for a long time, like I was there with him, you know, for weeks at a time. I mean, it's cool footage, and and John is a polarizing character. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's make a separation here. You know, John Lear it did introduce Bob Lazar to George Knapp, so that that connection is there. But that means no way does it mean that Bob holds the same belief systems. Sure, as right. yes. John. Lear. Yes. In fact, in fact, before Bob got the job at Site Four. Before he got the job at the Nellis Range, he remarked to a friend of mine named Jim Goodall, who's an aviation specialist, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I feel really bad for Lear. This is Bob Lazar saying this. I feel really bad for Lear. And, and Jim's like, well, why do you feel bad for Lear? And Bob says, well, because he's from a prominent aviation family. And that idiot believes in UFOs. <laughs> and this was before Bob was Bob the UFO guy, right. you know, so this is like so funny because this is just a friend telling me a story mm -hmm. of when he wow. knew Bob before Bob was the UFO guy. And Bob felt terrible that Lear believed in UFOs because he's from such a prominent aviation family. Now, with that said, I would say Lear, you know, did play a role, but he's not a critical role like every he's made himself seem like a critical role. Right. You know, he introduced Bob to, to, to George Knapp. But no, it was George Knapp for 25 years that, that kept – or 30 years that kept going after this. So I don't know what else to say about that other than he blocked himself from being in my films. But even if he didn't, really, is his is his role that big? Or is, enough, right. I think Bob's role is the most important. So, Jeremy, one of the things you, you mentioned earlier was the, uh, the hand scanner. Yeah. Bob gets – fairly angry shocker i know who <laughs> people get angry when they're called bold-faced liars but he gets fairly angry when, when people called him a liar the biggest roadblock 
to understanding is the ability to dismiss someone because you don't see them as human, as a person. So what pisses you off? I mean, disinformation and lies and attacks that have no basis in reality. I mean, you can disagree with me and say, hey, I don't believe that. That's fine. I haven't presented you with enough information. I, I understand that. I'd probably be in your position. But don't fabricate stuff. There's some important information that needs to be released. And everybody needs to understand the truth to it and not distorted versions of it. You really need to pay attention to what I'm saying. Because I have better things to do than come up with this. I'm not interested in doing this. I don't like being in the public eye. I don't have money for doing this. And quite frankly, I could make up a better lie. But I have no motivation to lie. This hasn't, this hasn't helped me out. It's sent something that it's information that I'm releasing. And that's it. It's not an ordinary life. That's one thing I would like. I don't like living in a James Bond movie. I like watching James Bond movies. So along those lines, he must have really taken a lot of satisfaction in your hand scanner find. Tell us a little bit more about that, how you found it, Bob's reaction and all that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. He doesn't take as big a satisfaction in these little finds that I brought him over the years that you would think he would. Um, he's kind of like the, the biggest UFO critic there is. So, for example, when I went to him and I said, hey, Bob, isn't it cool Gravity is now being admitted that it's a wave, just like you said in 1989 that gravity was a wave and it was not, you know, gravitons. And he looked at me and he's like, you know, Jeremy, that I had a 50-50 chance if you think about it. You know, he, <laughs> he like was so unimpressed that I was like, okay, I'm going to do better next time. And, you know, and then I come at him with like another thing like, hey, they stabilized element 115 or whatever it is you know, of that month you know, that I thought was cool. And he's so unimpressed. However, the hand scanner thing was cool because people always made fun of him saying, oh, yeah, there's this thing that shines a light and measures, measures your, your bones. bones. Yeah, they, yeah, that's they did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Oh, there's pins in it, this thing, you know, like that. So when I ended up getting you know, the images and bringing it to him, and I happen to know, because this is a buddy of mine, Tyler, who writes for this aviation publication, he actually got those photos. And, you know, he didn't even know when he showed them to me how important they were to me. I was like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I took him to Bob. And yeah, his face lit up. I mean, it was like <laughs> instantaneously. I mean, I didn't even tell him the background, really, of, of, of how I found him, all this stuff. I could have been playing him. Mm -hmm. The second he saw this his face lit up and it was like holy cow i like how he said he's like i didn't think i'd ever see those again you know what i mean i was like yeah that's awesome what an honest reaction yeah and they, they were only used at the base for a short amount of time because they were kind of the beginnings of biometrics and they were not that accurate actually and they were used at air 52 which is you know tonopah test range mm -hmm. in the stealth programs but you know we, we know for sure they were used there they were used in a few places but at his site, S4, he said they were used, and he like it, it, it was like magic to him that I had photos of him. Getting back to the Element 115, we were talking about it. One of the questions I had, he, he went into a, a, a large detail about how they put it together. They would cut the pieces, and it had to be put together the exact way, which he wasn't 100% sure of, for it to be able to be used to create the gravity. We know we can produce unstable versions of 115 now. Is Bob saying that? government can actually actively produce the stable version that he was talking about 
or do they just have what they were given? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, a few interesting things in what you just said there, you know, in my film, there's a lot of brand new information and there'll be people, I don't think they even watch the film. They'll be like, well, nothing's new. It's the same stuff. Actually, if you look at the ratio of new footage to old footage, it's staggering how much new footage. And then the informationally, there is so much new information that people that have that opinion, they, I, I honestly, I don't think they watch the movie. So this is one of those things, the machining of element 115. He has never talked about this. Right. This is never something. So, so, but, but I think because he doesn't know why it was done that way. So to answer your question to begin with, the machining of the 115 is brand new information. I think Bob has not talked about it before because I think that he d- literally doesn't know why it was machined that way. If it needs to be made that way to have the gravitic effects, he assumes that's what they t- told him, but he doesn't know that to be true. However, since then, I've had a number of machinists who have called me up and basically said, hey, I can probably tell you why they're, they're doing surface areas this way. So it, w- it was very interesting to me to see the response to that information, which I haven't even told Bob about yet. Now, as far as your question about the 115, no, Bob has always said that it's cost prohibitive and materials prohibitive to, to try to make, you know, through particle accelerators, or even just in general, if we have advanced technology to make, uh, you know, uh, element 115 in any abundance, you know, whether stable or not stable, meaning having a half-life that is usable in human terms or not usable, that, that he believed it was must have been harvested somewhere where it was naturally occurring, which means it was brought here in this stabilized form. That is what was machined. That is what was used. So what we had here was the gas left in the tank, essentially. Or a handout, like here, play with this. Kind oh, of thing. yeah, I guess I could have been. Too. Yeah, I mean, it's a, curi- it's a curious question. You know, Bob often says, imagine a you know motorcycle being dropped off in Victorian times with the keys. Like, of course, they're going to be able to right. fire it up and run it around. But the second they need fuel, they're done. And And he says, you know, look, he got the impression that these nine flying saucers, these nine craft, that they were acquired through some sort of archaeological dig or something. He had the impression, he can't prove it, right? He just got the impression that these were somehow, we had them for a very, very long time. I think what that says, that is just that yeah. statement is fucking mind boggling. You know what I mean? Totally, to, to what that totally mind boggling. Now, now he did I got say, excited. <laughs> no, I'm excited too. I mean, he did, he did say that um, the 115, that there, he was told we had 500 pounds of stabilized 115. Now, he never saw 500 pounds of it, but he would get portions of it whenever they needed to do experiments or work. One of the things he did was they, they would machine it at Los Alamos under the codename of LA-1000, and they said it was a advanced armor, and this is where it was cut or machined. So it's just interesting to me. No, he never made claims that we can make it, that we have made it. He's actually said quite the opposite, but that doesn't mean he knows where it came from or that he, he can't validate we have 500 pounds of it. That's just what he was told. But it's, yeah, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. One of the, I guess, not, I wouldn't say themes, but maybe the implications of, and please tell me where I'm in error because you're the filmmaker. But one of the implications I took away from the movie was that perhaps the raids and, and, and the FBI involvement was pointing to their belief that he might have uh, absconded with some uh, some of the stable element 115 and that they might be looking for that. I mean, you you point blank asked him and, and he said, well, I don't want to talk about it. And then we get into the part where 
you talk to them offline. And well, because we said start that, with the raid and then we come back to it. And you said they specifically repeated the conversation that you had in private with him, which is a crazy thing to say. Yeah. And in, in the movie. So, look, I mean, this is a wild experience. Like I've you have to understand there's real humans behind this. I felt fucking horrible. I mean, I go there, show up with cameras, all this stuff. And they were staking him out during that time period. I mean, these raids don't happen overnight when you've got 25, 26 forensic agents there. It's not for paperwork. I mean, I have friends that do federal raids for a living. That's their job. They're federal officers. They do these raids on a weekly basis. Which is what people and said. He just, he, he, he's a bad guy. He sold the wrong shit to the wrong people and they raided him big wolf. That, that's, that's factually not true. So yeah, there's so much people make up. They that insert their own yeah. fantasy. I, I, sorry, I apologize for interrupting, but that is by and large the most prevalent rumor uh, that you'll read when people are talking about the raids. He has access to a bunch of chemicals and a bunch of, you know, radioactive material and just a bunch of shit. And he's, you know, he's selling it online to people who shouldn't be able to buy it. And that's what the FBI is trying to But like you me. said, okay, you're looking for paperwork. Guess what? A call. Uh, a, I mean, one person stopping by can find my paperwork to show if I did something or not. There, there are so many things I want to say here. I just don't know where to attack, what angle to attack it. But I mean, I'll just I'll say to begin, look, the, the raid happened exactly like portrayed in the film. We're luckily we had some images from that raid. So you get to see how many people were there in the very beginning, the opening scenes on the cell phone. I open up the images so you can see some of the photographs that raid happened just like that. Now, officially, they were looking for paperwork. The thing is, if you talk to any federal agent, and I've consulted numerous federal agents about rates because these are people that consult my work anyway. And they were like, this is ridiculous. This is the worst cover story I've ever heard of. And they're like, <laughs> we do give cover stories. We do do that. You know, so from the very beginning, sure. it's acknowledged that. These types of raids, you have to spend a lot of time. You stake places out. That's how they snuck up on him real quick like that. I mean, he was like, what the hell? And 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 indeed, they were looking for physical evidence. They copied his computers. They they, they were actually physically looking for something. And on Larry King, we, we did an interview with Larry King that will come out on the 11th of January. And, and, and actually, Bob was very open about it. And that surprised me. You'll see on the Larry King show, he does – hit the nail on the head. I mean, they were looking for some of the fuel. They were looking for 115. Now, that shouldn't be a huge surprise to people. Oh, it's a surprise to me mm -hmm. Bob said it, but it shouldn't be a surprise to people because he did say back, you know, when this all started that his, you know, dead man's triggers that he got some of this out of Los Alamos and that was an insurance policy. And George Knapp actually saw it and people saw the uh, cloud chamber test where it bent light over Which it. And I did actually find showed in your documentary some of the footage. Yeah, of that. 60 seconds of that. I mean, it doesn't prove shit. I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. But just to find that tape after 30 years when everybody's telling me it exists and I'm like, yeah, right. Show it to me. <laughs> Which is funny that you would think something like that you wouldn't have tucked away cloud chamber tests and then cross yeah. over in like ghostbusters 2 you know like it's even funnier than that like george put the tape somewhere so safe the original in a brown case we have turned his place upside down numerous times cannot find it well, that makes you wonder who was watching and who took it i'm you know we don't know i mean george would love to find it but then you know luckily i'm going through all of bob's tapes and i'm looking through these little titles on all these like yearly you know he had these yearly kind of like cool things that happened and i find this one that says cloud chamber i go bob this might have the cloud chamber <laughs> test he's like oh really and i'm like yeah yeah i'm like can i take this tape he's like sure and i took it and it had like 60 seconds of it on it but it was pretty funny to, to put a cap on it do you think he still has some you know i think bob 
Bob needs to answer that kind of thing for himself. I, I, I think that uh, my movie gives you as, as much as I, I'm willing to give yeah, on enough. that. Don't put words in his mouth. Let him decide. That's a good way to put yeah, it. Yeah, right? I mean, look, like his mom said, you know, people said, well, his mom didn't validate all his shit. And I was like, yeah, she's a mom. She clearly said in the film that she thinks if Bob wants vindication, Bob should seek vindication. That she's not going to talk for him. I'm not going to talk for him. I, I, I think the main thing here is that in the movie, you get as close to, to seeing the truth as, as humanly possible. And I think that's important. And, and I, I did my best. And I pushed him. I tried to get him to say some stuff. But I think the Larry King interview will reveal some more. I don't know yeah. if this is a different question or not. Do you think he ever had any? Oh, yeah. No, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because George, he, George he, saw it, right, is what you're saying. Oh, and, like numerous people. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Exposed to it. Not the people you'd imagine, actually. It's funny. Like he hid it from Bigelow and Bigelow came over to his house. Um, you know, people he didn't trust. But, you know, there are people that saw it and people saw the effects of it in the cloud chamber experiment. Yeah, he absolutely did. You know, you just brought up Bigelow, and Bigelow is such a another polarizing name in in all of these things. What's their relationship look like now? Is there one at all between? No, there's no relationship. No, and there's so much fake stuff out there. People like I don't That's even. Why I don't even know how to to dive through it all without asking him. You know what I mean? No, all these debunker people. Like you know, they're like, oh, there was like they started a company and you know yep. they put some somehow they figured out some arbitrary number. They're like it was two million dollars. Total BS. Um, first of all, Bigelow would not waste that much money of his own money back then. But it's, it's it's so ridiculous to me that I don't even answer people. You know, at one time Bigelow was funding a lot of UFO work and activity. And, you know, they they didn't get along, but it's not that Bigelow was like, you know, Bob Lazar is a total fabricating liar. That's that's not at all what happened. There's a big difference between business and calling someone a liar. And, and it's so funny, like those stories you said, what's what happened to their business and things like that. Those are the things that someone says and someone repeats and it gets on a message board normal. somewhere and people run with it. And it, it's so hard. It, yeah, I, I could run, I could spend my whole life just trying to dampening, you know, the noise. But instead, what I'm trying to do is put as much information out there for people, you know, with half a brain to kind of take their time and really, you know, look into it. We're going to go to break real quick and we come back. Let's see how this plays into TTSA, A-tip. A-tip and all those things on more Hysteria 51. <laughs> So, Jeremy, the past with Bob when this happened, and now UFOs have kind of come into the main front. People are talking about them, especially with To the Stars Academy. Blink-182's Tom DeLonge and Luis Elizondo. Bob has made claims that we had these things, as you said, they're, they're, they might be old. They're archaeological digs. Does that negate what TTSA is doing and saying they're looking well, and for these things? Or yeah, how they're saying they they're looking into one another. They're saying that the, the TTSA says that the government is here to help us. And that we've never had access I'm to from these. I'm the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> exactly. We've never had access to these things. And Bob is saying the exact opposite of that. So I, I'm just curious how you. What are your thoughts on all of yeah, that? Yeah. How do you reconcile those things? Yeah. Oh, it's very interesting how, how you're positioning it. And I, I wouldn't agree totally with how you're positioning it. So Bob, I think, is is like, yeah, he has a healthy distrust of the government because of his experiences. Right. 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 Um, 
you know, but and then, you know, you're saying TTSA, the government's here to help you. I don't think that's at all what they're saying. I think we have somebody named Lou Elizondo who did come forward from one of these programs and has a personal reason to and a personal investment to try to get the information and the truth out there. And I think you've got Tom and Tom is I mean, you know, full disclosure, he's a friend. I've known Tom, you know, for a number of years now. And, you know, I I think what he's doing is very cool. I'm not involved with it in any right. way, but I think what he's doing is is cool. I mean, you know, bringing entertainment into it and uplifting it. I mean, I don't know if, if all the sources and everything that he says, you know, claims is, is correct. I mean, I, not even going to touch that with a ten foot pole, it's, but I, I'm just involved, saying that so you can't. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, I, I'm I'm literally not involved. Um, you know, however, there are some things that people confuse these crossovers. So, you know, look, there is no one government trying to get us the information. That's just not true. That's not happening. You have people that had positions of power that dealt with these, you know, UAPs and whatnot in, you know, through ATIP and, and all that, like Lou Elizondo, and he personally wants to get the information out. Now, how successful he'll be, it depends how much support he gets. But no, this is not the government being like, we want to help you. These are individuals with personal agendas that have some insight into how to get things out of the government to try to help the, you know, the information. And I think they're doing a great job. Uh, I will throw a stake in the ground here and say, look, I broke the 2004 Nimitz UFO with Commander David Fraber. I broke that story twice before the New York Times on Coast to Coast with George Knapp. That's important to know because this is not like a secret government program. They're now admitting like, no, no, I'm just like a dude who was investigating this and made good connections for a couple of years prior to it becoming the tip of the spear for TTSA. So, so this is not some big overall government thing. They're going to release this information to these cases. I was looking into this as an individual before because I got a tip off, right? Normal journalism. This is normal, hardcore. Like I had to make all my friendships, all my connections and make that work for, for, for a couple of years before that. So, so my point being that everything that you're seeing now with the admission of ATIP, it, it is not a small thing. It is a big thing. You know, originally it was 1969, Project Blue Book ended and the U United States government stopped studying UFOs. We know now that that was a lie. Not fake. We know that was a lie and that ATIP was indeed studying UFOs. But the, but the story gets even more mixed than that. George Knapp broke a bunch of the story. Remember what he told us was that the Defense Intelligence Agency had $22 million. Now, they were saying for a long time that was to fund ATIP. Not true. The DIA spent $22 million for OSAP. That was a program that Harry Reid originally initiated – ATIP was an auxiliary program that was not funded through that $22 million. They shared information, but that $22 million was almost fully dedicated to other things like Skinwalker Ranch. Right. So in this year alone, in the last 12 months, so much has come out. But this is not the government being like, here, open book, everybody. Well, no, not at all. I think a lot of people look at that and then they go, well, this is just drip feeding us disclosure. People are are – I don't know if they're wanting that, they're hoping for it, and it might be true, but there's so many people with their hands in this that it's hard, as you're pointing out, to even wade your way through it and, and make heads or tails because there's so many hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. What, what they, they believe there's a faucet and they're dripping out it. No, that's total BS, man. This is like people like George Knapp, like me, like everybody involved trying to get as much information out to the public as possible without breaking the law or burning bridges. And then the problem is when you come out with something that is maybe not what people expected, then they, they want to crucify you. 
you know, in one way or another. But par for the course, I think, you know, whenever you tell him this kind of stuff, you know, sure, everybody hates you or loves you and whatever. Yeah. What haven't we covered that you think is important in the UFO world or in general or in Bob's story? Like, what's the most important thing that people aren't paying attention to and you want everyone to know? Yeah, no, I, thanks for asking that. And um, I, I don't shy away from the most important things. I, Bob hates it when I ask him questions like that. He's like, well, I don't know the most important, right, right. Jerry. There's a lot What's of levels. Your of version? Yeah, 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 yeah at yeah. this moment. Let me give you one. Look, I'm, he, here's the, the big takeaway for me, which is that this has been a monumental year for our understanding of the way the United States government deals with this known phenomenon, which is UFOs, hardcore, physical, tangible craft flying with impunity within our airspace, making a mockery of our most modern-day scientific achievements when it comes to aviation and fighter pilots and this sort of thing. So this is an issue, and the United States government is dealing with it, and we've got to see how a little bit they're dealing with it and what the interest is. So now in light of this new world that we're living in, where it's admitted that these things exist, that these uh, objects of unknown origin that are technologically advanced do you know, occupy our airspace at any given time, that is pretty huge news. If we can get that bullet point and be like, okay, I get it, that's happening. Then we look at the Lazar story through a completely different lens. It's no longer some dude just like telling a story about the United States government working on UFOs. This is like, whoa, wait a second. There is some historic evidence here that our government has been interested in this. So what if? What if it's not just a reactionary program like ATIP that is dealing with this, but in fact, there are other programs that are not reactionary, that are actually studying this stuff from crash retrieval to biology. I did say, and I kind of let this slip, I think, is an issue, but that there were four programs and that those programs will probably be known at some point. And that was a little bit backed up recently by another uh, announcement that was online, you know, another researcher that found some stuff. So, so here's my point. I am aware that there is a much bigger UFO study going on and that that UFO study encompasses all aspects of what we'd consider from biology to crash retrieval. And I also know, and I am confident with this information, that every branch of our military has current and active studies on this subject and that they have been durational. They've been going on a long time. Would it make any sense if they didn't? You know what I mean? I agree. No, no, I, I agree with you, man. I totally agree with you. Why is that so hard for people to, 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 to believe, though? I think the harder part for people to believe is motivation or intentions. I think even people who don't believe in UFOs would, would, could guess that there is a, a at least a program to look into them. But going back to DeLong, you know, he he's quoted as saying, you know, lack of disclosure is for our own benefit. And when we find out why, we'll be happy they didn't spread it to us. That, that's that, a hard that, pill to swallow. That, that's what... Uh. That, that's what Tom, Tom, those are Tom's words, not mine. So yeah. I think people have a hard time swallowing the government is your friend. The, Spoonful of sugar uh, helps the medicine go you down. Know, I mean, when you, yeah, you they think, should have a hard time swallowing that. Yeah. Right. right. And it's just infuriating. We could do this forever. I mean, yeah, when, when has our government ever, you know, really been the good guy and transparently been like, hey, here, here's all the information. No, I mean, I, you know, look, I don't know about that quote that's wild. Um, I'm not sure, you know, about that. I, I just, I think now the way we're looking at things, I think it's important to kind of revisit Bob's story. I think that's why there's such a huge, huge hunger for it. 
Um, I think that's why the movie's doing really well. Is I mean, first of all, look, we got Mickey Rourke doing narration. It's a beautiful, visually uplifting. It's a compelling story. I mean, look, I could have pointed a crappy camera and still gotten a good movie, but I didn't. I actually made you know a lot of effort to to make it palatable to a generation three three generations That's of people that are doing so heard. well is because not only is it a documentary it's an entertaining documentary that you can sit down and watch and enjoy Ab- absolutely yeah i hope so i hope so but but on the bigger scale like from you guys doing your show to the new york times releases to george knapp you know kind of uh you know, letting stuff out as, as they go. I think everybody's playing a part in trying to understand a riddle and a mystery. And we're all asking questions. And I think that's what's powerful is that everybody's doing it in their own way. And that is like a cumulative pressure that is being put on. Look, if we're not interested, we're not going to get any answers. The seeker is the finder. The person asking the questions gets the answers. That's how the world works. So I think cumulatively, we're all doing a pretty good job right now of asking the questions. Let me let me ask a uh, some uh, potentially redundant question, but I want to. We have a couple other questions we want to ask for uh, you before we let you go outside of Lazar. So I want to put a cap on on Bob. I want to ask. We know that you believe him. Is it an amalgam of everything that you learned throughout making the the movie and talking to everyone? Is there one driving point where you go, that's it. That's what puts me over the edge to say I'm in the Lazar camp. I, I really hesitate to say I'm like I'm in the Lazar camp. I like I literally have just applied logic and ration and time and spent you know probably more effort than anybody having direct conversations with Bob and all of those people surrounding him and people that I f- found out of the woodwork 30 years later so you know I'm not like in a camp based on belief I, again I think belief is a a data poor perspective you know I think that to, to just say I believe something you 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 know I guess some belief is based on a better evidence. But so to be fair, evidence, it's the one that we trade in the most. In what way? In our world today, it's I, I think the currency that we all trade in is whether we believe something. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, human nature. I think you could you could argue that for all time in history. But 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 what, I, what I'm saying is I'm I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I believe Bob. You know, I'm not I'm not I, I'm sitting here saying over years. There is a death, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Got it. I have more evidence that Bob is telling the truth than that Bob is lying about, especially about flying saucers. Jeremy, what's next for you? You've definitely been down this road with all your documentaries. You, you know, do you have a, a a direction you're heading in that you want to share with us at all, or is that super secret hush hush? Oh, no, there's nothing ever really super secret hush hush in my life you know people like to pretend there is they're like no i'm the, uh, look so man important. Le- let me tell yeah, you seriously yeah isn't that funny people like whenever they start making ufo documentaries like oh have people tried to harm you have <laughs> people tried to silence you no and if someone claims that they me in my have, sleep last night you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's about that's about right because i gotta stop working on ufo stuff but i mean it's like people are so fucking crazy man when they become you know about ufo stuff like I mean, I've never been resisted. Maybe I'll change my tune if something alters, but I've never been resisted about stuff. People have always helped me when it comes to UFO stuff. Uh, Look, there's a lot of stuff that excites me right now, and I've filmed a lot of stuff that I haven't released yet, and I'm not sure what the next release is going to be, but I am currently actively working on a number of investigations, you know, you can't let it go once you pick this up and you start to get a sense that you're getting a little bit closer to the truth, you know? So I don't know what, what's next. I mean, sleep, uh, <laughs> hanging with my family and my poppies, and then, um, yeah, just jump right back in. There Not sure go. where. 
John, you got one last one, the one we ask everyone. Most important, are we living in a simulation? That's the big one. Well, what what would what would it, what would the difference be if you did? Right? Does it hey, does it matter? Does it matter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of what I'm thinking. You should ask you know, give Elon Musk a joint, have him come on your show and ask him I that question. I would love to. Yeah. Great. I'm buying. About, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. It's the most it is one of the most intriguing things to I don't know, just to sit and and like thought experiments. You know, because when you when you think about some of the arguments that they make about, you know, well, if you look at the acceleration of technology now, imagine that 3000 years from now, uh, it, it is the one of the just it's just fun. It's like uh, it's like eating eating junk food. You know, it's just right. fun to, to sit and and, and think. Yeah. About. And it actually it actually makes a lot of logical sense. I mean, if you yeah. think about, you know, that Elon's like number one thing that I've heard him say <laughs> is that and, and I it is true. I mean, I agree that, you know, any advanced civilization is going to find a way to bypass the the biology of the of the human body and then the, the degradation of the cell and so it's like if you're able to think of that in those terms it would be a much more uh it would have more longevity to, to say we are living in a in a simulation and i and i don't know i mean nobody nobody knows yeah, right. Nobody knows until they know, right? <laughs> until they reboot. Jeremy, I want to. I just want to say thank you. As a guy who came into the world of the weird uh, a little bit later than most, I brought him in kicking and screaming. He and did. Now he's kind uh, of in. <laughs> and now, yeah, now I'm, I'm dug in. The the documentaries you make, not only of course do they make us think, do they really well represent the uh, the topics, but the the fact that you make really visually stunning and interesting documentaries in a world full, and I mean full. Of uh, of shit. This is the only way to say it. I mean, when you when you go try to re- look at other documentaries for a lot of these topics, I appreciate it. I thank you for the hard work you do, and uh, please please keep putting out great content. We'll keep consuming it. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's look. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people that don't feel the way you guys feel about. It, so I appreciate it. You know, I I hear the good and I hear the bad. Basically, what I'm trying to do is do something that. I would like to watch, you know, create something that that I think would be worthy of my time, you know, to view. And so if I'm doing that to to, to your guys' satisfaction, great, you know, then I, I'm going to keep making more, um, you know, and hopefully we get a bigger audience over time. And that's really a goal of mine is to expand this concept outside of the people like us who are kind of really into this, but reach out to people who are just on the edge of being interested in this because we need more minds. That's in this. a fantastic way to put it because. John and I have always said that we, when we do the show, we want to do the show that we would enjoy. And we want to bring in people that aren't these staunch UFO deniers or believers. We want it to be like every man can come in and talk about these things and not lose their way along the way. And that's easier said than done sometimes. That's why we catch a lot of flack. Like the third host of this show, say hi, Conspiracy Bot. Word. The third host of this show is an angry robot named Conspiracy Bot. People like, well, why is there so much comedy? Why do you... Because we're... If I didn't matter. laugh at this stuff, I'd be banging my head I to the mean, wall. We could be talking about, <laughs> right, right. about 16th century Russian economics. I'd still want it to be funny. Yeah. Like, uh, you, you want to enjoy this stuff. Have fun with life. Right. Oh, absolutely, man. Jeremy, where can everyone find you? I, well, you know, my, my wife would argue I'm way too findable at this point. But, yeah, if you type my name in Google, Jeremy Corbell. I mean, all my work is at extraordinarybeliefs.com and, like, my social media is, like, and I, I, I talk to everybody on social media. I like talking with people about this stuff so yeah just find me on uh, any social media under jeremy corbell my website is extraordinarybeliefs.com all right sir well thank you very much we greatly appreciate hey, really, it we really appreciate your time stay woke meat sex it was terrible it was just terrible i'll never get over it as long as i live 
That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. Or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.